Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for Tuesday Terror here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated R and is recommended restricted for anyone under the age of 17. You're listening to Esther by Erica Schaefe, performed by Anna Caprara and Scott Miller, produced by Citadel Studios for Sentinel Creatives. Orion, DSV-3, was built in the image of Alvin, DSV-2, complete with two highly maneuverable robotic arms, multiple maximum efficiency exterior sensors, and formed from state-of-the-art syntactic foam, it had the capacity to collect and store topographical data with impeccable speed and accuracy. It was nothing less than a technological marvel positioned at the very forefront of oceanographic research. Dr. Claire Margraves was to be the sole occupant of the deep submergence vehicle on its maiden voyage into the sea. Acting as a veritable brain to the submersible's intrinsic network of communicating systems and programs, Dr. Margraves would be exploring the heretofore inhospitable depths of the Western Pacific. On the day she was to embark on her hours-long journey, Claire stood on the bank of a small island off the coast of Guam, a light breeze playing across her dark hair. The sun, which had only just descended over the brim of the horizon, was already warming the sand and stone of the tropical beach, its tangerine rays spilling invitingly over the crystal blue water that lapped at the shore. Getting excited yet? Claire's husband David asked from the wood plank dock a few feet above where she stood. Yes. She shielded her eyes with her hand to see his face more clearly. It all feels so surreal. I still can't believe they chose me for this. He smiled down at her, his teeth pristinely white against the contrast of a suntanned face. Of course they chose you. (laughs) You are one of the best, Claire. Claire felt herself blush at the note of pride in his voice, though it pleased her. Marine biology was a surprisingly competitive field, and until recently she had never thought of herself as being particularly accomplished among her colleagues. There it is, she beamed, pointing in the direction of the large ship they had been watching. On its sprawling flat platform, Orion was now visible the small vehicle's coverings having been recently removed. Wow. It looks so... tiny. Are you sure you're going to be safe in that thing? The water pressure won't collapse it? I'll be perfectly safe. There's nothing for you to be worried about. These engineers think of everything, believe me. She wrinkled her nose at him. 
Go back to the hotel and get something to eat. It's time for me to get ready anyway, and there won't be anything for you to do here. Really? She went on, her gaze flicking to his concerned frown. I'll be back before you know it. He smiled after a moment, worry receding to pride once more. Okay, okay. Come here, then. She climbed the sandy bank, turning to walk on the narrow dock where David was moving towards her. Be careful, he said, putting his big arms around her waist and kissing her lightly on the forehead. And enjoy yourself, Claire. You've earned this. She grinned, turning her face upwards to plant a kiss on his lips. I love you. What followed David's departure from the scene was but a blur of hurried activity. It seemed that, before Claire even had time to take a mental inventory of all that was happening, she was being settled into her seat inside of Orion, staring down at the control panel which she'd become so familiar with over the previous year. Around her, crew members and scuba divers made the necessary last-minute preparations. Then she felt herself being lowered, by use of a specially built hydraulic system, down into the Pacific. Unbelievable, she breathed, as the vessel settled, and she had her first glimpse of clear blue ocean from behind the domed window of Orion's titanium inner sphere. Sunlight permeated the surface of the water, illuminating bits of kelp and algae that floated along with an unhurried whimsy, heedless of her existence. It was humbling, this panoramic view of the sea, and she couldn't help but take a moment to appreciate the beauty of it before her scientific mind resumed control and she turned her efforts to the task for which she'd been selected. All right, Orion, let's see what you can do. She gripped the controls tightly and the submersible descended into the mesopelagic zone where sunlight would become increasingly scarce. She could just make out a bloom of orange box jellyfish in the far distance. Unfortunately, the species had become something of a nuisance to beachgoers recently, causing Guam's tourist revenue to plummet. The last few years had seen a sharp increase in their numbers along the shoreline, prompting swim warnings and beach closures, ultimately having a profound and very negative impact upon the island's fragile economy. Though her job at this stage was simply to collect biographical data from the newly accessible depths of the ocean, Claire hoped that her discoveries might eventually provide some answers about the strange migratory phenomenon. They were beautiful creatures, though, levitating ethereally in the crystal water like strange, weightless passion flowers. She watched the white chandelier of tentacles sway gently under its orange umbrella canopy as she was carried deeper into the ocean. Sunlight still trickled through to streak the water with long golden rays, though its reach was not nearly as strong as it had been only moments before. Claire was still able to see quite well, however, even as the DSV continued to cut through the currents into the greater depths of the ocean. Orion's lights shone out brilliantly in front of her, illuminating the belly of a lithe little surgeon fish as it wriggled past the wide expanse of glass. She watched it swim upwards until it passed over the top of Orion and out of sight. The rushed jerking of its movements had seemed frantic, 
as though it had been struggling to get away from something. Claire stared out carefully into the endless expanse of cobalt blue before her, but was unable to make out any other form which might account for the small fisher's hastened dart. The water became as dark as pitch as the DSV approached a depth of 2,000 metres. The Mariana Trench loomed somewhere below Orion, in the blackness of the incomprehensible abyss. For a long while, there was nothing to see. The shadowy outlines beyond the beam of Orion's lights yielded no signs of life until the submersible had descended another hundred metres. There, a faint blue glimmer became apparent, just outside the reach of Orion's glow. It resembled a precious sapphire, but one that was able to emit its own haunting flame. Claire knew instantly what the appealing little light was, however. It, like the seductive siren's song of Greek mythology, promised rapture and intrigue, but delivered only pain and death. The lovely esker belonged to an anglerfish, a predatory remnant of the Cretaceous era, with teeth like long bony needles in its hideous gaping mouth. Claire admired the fleshy bulb for a moment longer, as Orion continued its persistent dive. It passed the 3,000 mark, then the 4,000. At a depth of 4,500 metres, Claire felt a surge of uninhibited excitement. This had been the absolute limit of Orion's predecessor Alvin's capabilities. She was crossing into waters which had never before been explored by a manned submersible. Her feeling of ecstasy was laced with a very small amount of fear. It was silly, she knew, for the pressure outside could have crushed her just as easily at 2,000 metres as at 4,600. But the knowledge that this had never been done before added a thin layer of trepidation to her eagerness. She squared her shoulders and Orion plunged onward, down to 5,000 metres. As her eyes swept slowly over the black blanketed scene before her, Claire experienced a pang of shock. In the inky depths below, somewhere near the mouth of Mariana, another sapphire blue light was visible. Claire blinked once, but the glow did not disappear. Orion's ultrasonic navigational system blinked, an indication that the vessel had approached the expanse of ocean floor that marked the top of Mariana. The Esker, or whatever it was, had to be located inside the trench itself. Claire faced towards it, making sure to capture everything on Orion's recording camera. Her mind reeled with the possibilities of what the little unimposing light could mean for the field of marine biology. She had at first thought that it might be issuing from an underground volcano, but its location, along with its consistently smooth, round shape, dispelled that idea almost instantly. Still, it could not possibly belong to any animal. The pressure at that depth would be incompatible with non-microbial life, or, at least, any that was as yet known. After another moment's speculation, Claire was forced to turn her attention away from the mystifying glow. 
Despite Orion's advanced capabilities, her time at this depth was limited and she needed to collect as many samples from the attainable terrain as possible. Orion's lights drifted along the expansive surface of seafloor above the dark fissure, where the current seemed to blow like a slow, strong wind. Claire extended the vessel's long arms out to extract varying quantities of the bare sediment, resisting the compulsive urge to turn around again and look into the trench. She kept her gaze forwards, sweeping her eyes from left to right and then back again, over the seascape beyond the large window. It should have been fascinating, this first-hand view of virgin earth, but it felt anticlimactic after the Esker-like curiosity. It became almost monotonous, watching the same mechanical motions repeat themselves in succinct rhythms, digging and collecting sand and rock. Finally, when Claire felt that she had performed her duties as thoroughly as possible, she calculated that there would still be enough time to have one last look inside the gaping trench. She guided Orion back towards Mariana, a renewed eagerness growing within her. It was a professional interest bordering on obsession, her fixation with the enigma, one that alluded to scientific distinction and recognition on an international level. Her breath caught in her throat as soon as she laid eyes on the blue light again. It was much closer now, though still a considerable distance away, and much larger. Rather than a consistent faint glow, Claire noticed, leaning forwards in her chair, that the glow seemed to be transmitting from blue striations within a translucent bulb, similar to lightning bolts or electrical currents. The bulb itself seemed to be attached to a sort of long, thin appendage, where the striations were also intermittently visible. Claire thought excitedly of the electric eels she had once observed as a student when she had taken part in a biological research project in the Amazon. Though the electricity the eels produced was not visible within them, it might conceivably be so in another translucent organism. She sat in awe of the visual before her, bringing Orion even closer to the trench's opening. If she could only get a better view of the strange protuberance, she might be able to infer the type of creature it could belong to. Certainly, this was no anglerfish, for aside from being much too large, its appendage more closely resembled a tentacle than anything else. A thin, electrified tentacle something that anglerfish most certainly did not have. As she drew nearer, so did the glowing bulb, snaking its way upwards from the depths of the void. Exhilarated by this sign of intelligent behaviour, Claire edged into the opening of the trench, facing herself downward towards the lighted creature. Orion's high-pressure alarms began to sound, and she steered the vehicle still further into the abyss. The depth was becoming too great, she knew, but if she could only get just a little closer, she would have the first ever human view of this magnificent life form, and all of the academic and professional glamour which attended such a discovery. The appendage shot swiftly upwards, Claire gasped, 
It was even larger than she had imagined, imposingly so. As it approached, from much further down than she had originally imagined, the bulb itself eclipsed Orion. It continued to come towards her at lightning speed. Crying out, Claire was blinded by the onslaught of electric light. It, along with the wailing of Orion's alarms, was the last thing she remembered as contact was made and her skull cracked against the panel in front of her. Her mind was plunged into complete and utter darkness. Claire awoke some time later with a massive headache and the coppery taste of blood in her mouth. Attempting to recollect all that had happened, she strained to stand without the assistance of light to guide her. A familiar harness gave her resistance and she recognised the feel of Orion's captain's chair below her. Like a nightmare, memories of the ocean... The trench, the esker, flashed before her. A sickening fear turned her stomach over, culminating in a panic as she had never known. Oh my God. She blinked her eyes hard, wiping the sticky blood from her lashes and cheeks. All that awaited her, however, was pure, desolate blackness. She flicked Orion's light control with mounting desperation and even punched wildly at the surface panel, but to no avail. What the fuck? She sobbed, clutching at her matted hair. What the fuck? Her heart was racing, her breath shallow and ragged. The logical part of her aching brain knew that oxygen was limited, knew that she had to calm down and assess the situation as calmly and rationally as possible. Still, it took a considerable amount of time for her mind to clear of the all-consuming dread, and she was left feeling light-headed and confused. The detachment mechanism, some soft, blessed voice advised from within her. Yes. She opened her tear-drenched eyes. Okay. Where's the lever? Her hand groped in the darkness for a few moments finally closing around the mechanism she sought. Taking a last deep breath, she pushed the button and engaged the lever. A mechanical lurching sound accompanied a last dying flicker of light as Orion's inner sphere broke free from the rest of the vehicle. This would result in the distinct disadvantage of Claire losing all control of the vessel and the precious samples she had collected. Seeing as the vessel was already non-responsive, however, she felt that the manoeuvre was by far her best option. The foam sphere was designed to float independently to the surface of the ocean as soon as it was ejected from the heavier components. Of course, she would be leaving millions of dollars worth of technology in the depths of the ocean behind her, but she could not afford to think about that now. At least she would be safe. She wondered, absently, how long she had been unconscious. Thought of how worried David would be when she did not return on time. What if she never returned at all? 
She refused to allow her thoughts to progress in that morbid direction any further. Everything will be alright. I'm going to be fine. I just need to breathe. Inhale. That's right. Now exhale. They designed this vessel with safety as a top priority. I will be fine. The inner sphere began to revolve in the water, drifting upwards. She knew, though her sense of direction was by now non-existent. Briefly, she caught sight of something blue and glowing before her field of vision was turned away again. She shuddered at the thought of the electric tentacle with its hypnotizing bulb, hoping earnestly never to have to set eyes upon the once so desirable thing again. Professional esteem be damned. Leaning back in her seat, she drove the unpleasant thought from her mind and focused solely on effective breathing. She had begun to feel genuine relief when a sudden grinding noise, like metal upon stone, made her heart skip in her chest. The sphere slowed its movements, coming at last to a complete, gut-wrenching stop. All around her, the ocean was still uncompromisingly dark. Claire knew that the free-floating vessel had become lodged against something and was therefore unable to complete its ascension. Again, panic threatened to overtake her. It made her throat dry out and her fingertips feel as they were being pricked by a thousand tiny, sharp needles. Again, she attempted to calm herself, though she doubted that any amount of clear thinking could provide her with a solution to this problem. After all, there was no fallback for ejection failure. The sphere itself was the last resort for the vessel's occupant. She let out an involuntary whimper, thinking of the door to the sphere, which could be opened manually in the event of such an emergency. The problem was that Claire had absolutely no way of knowing how deep she was trapped underwater, save for the complete lack of sunlight, which itself was fully disheartening. If the pressure were too great, the mechanism would be useless, but if she remained in the sphere for too long, the depleting oxygen stores would eventually run out. She was sitting back in her chair, paralysed by fear and indecision, when Orion began to move again. Claire's neck craned painfully forwards as the vehicle was pulled backwards with extreme force, as though it had been caught up in a sort of whirling vacuum. Once she was finally able to look up again, Claire could, inexplicably, see the open night sky plainly through her front window. A shriek of exhalation issued from her as she observed what appeared to be a thunderstorm churning above Orion. Lightning flashed in thin streaks across a silent blue-black sky. Never had anything been so beautiful as this ominous weather. Claire rejoiced with abandon inside of the splendidly victorious Orion. Somehow, miraculously, she had done it. She had surfaced. It was glorious, unspeakably so. It was an almost perfect moment, and tears of inexpressible happiness rolled down her cheeks. 
Still, there was something not entirely right about the magnificent scene, though she wished she could ignore the unpleasant notion. She was still vaguely aware of the uncomfortable sensation of being pulled backwards. When she tried to lift her arm, she was met with a resistance of the sphere's opposing trajectory. Claire blinked, staring straight ahead as the realization hit her like a crushing blow. Her stomach sank and her celebrations ended abruptly. What she was witnessing was not a storm. It was not lightning. It was not even the night sky. It was a tangle of pulsating, luminous striations visible through a shiny film of translucent skin. No. She covered her eyes with her hands. No, no, no! Her entire body was lurched forwards, tight against the seat's harness as the back of the sphere crashed hard into something. The electric tentacle slid down the front of the window, giving Claire an unobscured view of the ocean beyond. Her brain was at first unable to comprehend what her eyes were witnessing. It was how an ant might feel when confronted unexpectedly with the presence of a human being. An inadequate neurological system attempting to compartmentalize the abstract. Some primitive part of Claire rejoiced in the presence of the selenic light before her, as it was, at least, a break from the tangible, hopeless darkness. A network of the unusual electric currents seemed to be extended all around her, contained in bundles within hundreds of tentacles. These translucent appendages culminated in a kind of pulsating trunk. Most of the tentacles stretched from the base of the trunk structure, along the seafloor, and out to the edge of Claire's field of vision. Some were curled or coiled, however, and each of these ended in enormous glowing globes, like the one that had first caught her attention. She squinted at them, still too perplexed to fully process the scene. Each of the coiled tentacles seemed to be wrapped around something, anchoring it to the sea floor. One had what looked to be a large whale or shark of some kind, though the body was mangled and flattened so that it was nearly impossible to recognize it as such. Another tentacle held something plant-like and leafy, though this too had been crushed and shriveled miserably. Claire's gaze drifted slowly back to the centre of the enormous structure. Or rather, she thought with a start, the enormous creature. For clearly, this thing, whatever it was, was alive. It was unlike anything imaginable, with its hundreds of tentacles, its spherical esker, its networked system of electrical impulses. Those blue striations almost looked like flame-lighted veins and arteries, supplying life and giving energy to... something. Her eyes traced the translucent trunk upwards, higher and higher, until her neck was craned back painfully. Her mouth gaped open, and her eyes filled again with tears. 
Before her was a titan. The trunk of the creature stretched up into a sort of abdomen, above which rose a massive chest-like structure without any visible vertebral column or ribcage. It seemed to have two massive humanoid arms, though this part of the anatomy was so far above her that Claire could not see it clearly. There was a head that she could make out as well, connected to the body by a long, sturdy neck. These structures, too, were humanoid in shape, though they were on such a large scale that Claire had difficulty noting the fact. All around her, the water was illuminated by the electricity of the creature, creating a sort of undersea lightning storm. As if it moved under strobing lights, the titan's motions appeared slow and choppy. Claire watched it, too amazed to be frightened for the moment. It was translucent all over, with the electrical vessels spindling through every part of it. Its tentacles worked endlessly, stretching and coiling as though they moved independently of the thing. Claire continued to stare up at the creature as its back began to bend into a slow, slumping posture. She held her breath as the chest, head and neck began to lower. Closer and closer it came, swooping down over its tentacles so that Claire could see what she regarded as the face of the creature for the first time. As the lightning burned under its skin, she could see that it had two enormous compound eyes, like those of a housefly. The segments were almost touching, which in an insect would signify that the being was male. They were pale jade green in colour, and the only part of the creature that seemed to be opaque. They twitched intermittently as they appeared to examine the shadowed figures that had been caught by the tentacles. Perhaps this creature had been the inspiration for gods like Neptune and Poseidon, Claire thought wildly as she observed the wispy white tentacles that grew from the face and head. They could have been those of gigantic box jellyfish, light and flowing in the current of water. Could such a creature possibly have been known by ancient man? It would not have surprised her then, and that's a real moment to see a triton clutched in the giant thing's hand, poised to strike. Certainly it could not ever have been witnessed at these immense depths. What looked like a stone ceiling loomed above the head of the thing, visible every so often in the flickering blue light. For some time, she had supposed the expanse to be the edge of the shelf along which Mariana was wedged, the very bottom of the trench itself. She laughed. A delirious, high-pitched sound that echoed with Orion's sphere, breaking through the absolute silence. The creature had come to the crushed, whale-like figure in one of the tentacles nearest to Claire. Its jade eyes twitched as the coil of tentacle tightened around the dead animal like a boa constrictor, but with no definition of muscle. The flow of electricity to the tentacle increased so that it emitted a strong and constant glow. She watched as the crumpled animal stiffened and jerked, just like it was being electrocuted. After a moment, the tentacle loosened, and the whale animal had vanished entirely. The head of the titan creature moved on, 
stopping again in front of the plant-like form that was trapped in another of its tentacles. Again, its jade eyes seemed to consider the prey for a moment, before it too was engulfed in a coil of electricity. Claire was almost in hysterics when the thing's attention came slowly over to her. It was enough to kill a person, just the sight of that enormous translucent face. The eyes themselves would dwarf a city building so that they were all she could see through the window as the thing considered her. Without defined irises or pupils, they appeared to her to be cold and soulless. They belonged to something distinctly unhuman, despite the creature's crude resemblance to man. She winced as her heart gave a fluttering palpitation and her lungs sucked in air that was now almost completely devoid of oxygen. The segmented eyes twitched, and Claire braced herself to be electrocuted, crushed, or even suffocated. Instead, she felt the incredible sensation of being thrust upwards. Her stomach lurched, and she vomited, choking and sputtering as her body fought to breathe. She could not seem to get any oxygen, however, and after another moment's struggle, felt her mind being plunged into blackness once again. David stood at the edge of the dock, watching the calm surface of the ocean wave lazily a few feet below him. Still nothing, he said, rather than asked. No. Nothing yet, Claire's colleague Glenn said beside him, replacing a large black phone to his pocket. We've got divers out everywhere, and the sensors on our boats are bound to pick up something soon. He put a hand on David's shoulder. We've got another DSV on the way too, and I'm going to man it myself. I appreciate that, Glenn. But it can't get down as deeply as hers was going, can it? No, but I'm going to do everything I can. She should still have oxygen by then. David could tell that the biologist did not really believe what he was saying. If Claire truly were stuck somewhere down in that water, she would be breathing through the last of her stored oxygen as they spoke, if she had not used it all already. I just feel so damned helpless. David breathed, running his hands through his hair. She's alone. She's dying, and there's nothing I can do. I'm just standing here, and she's down there. Just down there. His shoulders shook, and he covered his face with his hands. Glenn's phone rang again, but David did not bother to listen in this time. The hope had gone out in him, and his composure had finally cracked. She was gone. His beautiful, intelligent Claire was gone from him forever, and there was nothing that he or anyone else could do about it. A hand gripped his arm. He turned slowly, feeling a hesitant semblance of happiness as he took in Glenn's bright expression. The biologist was pointing out in front of where they stood, and David turned to look, his stomach tightening. There, in the distance... The top of what looked to be a large sphere had broken through the surface of the water and was bobbing in and out of view. 
Divers were converging upon it as men shouted back and forth to one another, and motored speedboats circled in closer to the object. Is that... But David did not dare finish the question. Yes, came Glenn's jovial reply next to his ear. Yes, it's her. It's Orion. David nearly fell over while clambering towards the water. Glenn kept a stronghold on him, restraining his effort to get to Claire. They've got her. They've got her. David watched the scene with his heart in his throat. The divers were doing something, and they seemed to him to be moving very slowly. Part of the sphere came open, thrust upwards toward the sky. Still, he could not see anything except for the mass of divers surrounding the vessel. Finally, a few of the men broke away from the crowd and David saw the sunlight reflected upon a head of familiar dark hair between them. Oh God, thank God. Then, turning to Glenn. Is she alive? Is Claire? But Glenn could not see any more of what was happening than David could. Overhead, a black helicopter cut crisply through the clear blue sky, coming to land on the platform of the ship on which Orion had been previously carried. Already, an oxygen tank and gurney had been set up there by the medical team. Come on, said Glenn suddenly, helping David up from the dock. Let's get you over there, so you can go with her to the hospital. David hurried to his feet, depending on support from Glenn to get himself down to the banks and onto one of the speedboats. He could still see Claire. She too had been moved into one of the little boats, and was on her way to the awaiting ship. Though we could not see if she was stirring at all underneath the blanket she'd been ensconced in. She was already on the platform when he arrived on board. His legs were shaking under him as he hurried towards the little gurney. Medics were bustling around him, blocking his way every few feet. Finally, he was close enough to see her. An oxygen mask covered her face almost completely so that he could only make out a mass of dark, matted hair, stained with dried blood and vomit. Is she alive? He called to the nearest medic, though even as he asked it, he could see the slight rise and fall of her chest underneath the thick blanket. Thank God! Oh, thank God! He said, closing the distance between them, and taking her hand in his. Her eyes flitted open for a moment, and she stared over at him, looking pale and shocked. It's all right. He kissed her hand. Oh, Claire. Her hand gave the tiniest squeeze. She was very weak. Still, she continued to stare up into his eyes. Her irises appeared lighter somehow. The hair at her temples was the purest white, as though she had seen something down in the water. Something that had terrified her to her very core. You've been listening to Esker by Erica Schaaf, performed by Anna Capraro and Scott Miller. Production copyright for Sentinel Creatives. 
Governments throughout the world have been working around the clock to get more information about just how this event that we call the incident actually occurred. We're all just trying to have a nice family. Whoa! What, what was that? We recently discovered evidence that all of this, the incident, the pulse, word Nisha, was from a shadowy group that calls itself Cypher. We must maintain our power at all costs! The crisis is real. There's only one demographic who remained unaffected. Who? Kids. Season 1, available now.